Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Here we are, we're gonna wrap up this conversation. Where have we been? If you're joining us for the first time, we've been talking about how to make relationships work, not just a marriage, but any relationship. And week number one, we talked about the concept of honoring one another, outdoing each other and showing honor uh, through encouragement, through appreciation, through meeting each other's needs and by making room for faults. And then last week we talked about this idea, a couple more ideas of how to make it work and in, in specifically staying interested in one another, clarifying expectations, attacking the problem, not your spouse, right? And then uh, uh, removing all negative forms of communication and then having a vision for your marriage. Where do you want your marriage to be uh, in, in the future and what do you want your marriage to actually do? And so if you missed any of that, you can catch it on our, our YouTube channel. It's all there for you as well. So today what we wanted to do is kind of answer some of your questions that came in. We're not gonna be able to get to all of them, but we're gonna answer what we thought were the most important questions uh, uh, that, that came in this week. So thank you for sending those in. Let's dive into the first one. It's kind of an easy one, but it's a good one. Number one, when is it the right time to leave the kids and go on vacation? Oh, this is a great question. Um, hey, thanks for having me back. It's super fun. It was great to go through all the questions and try to come up with answers to them this week, and it gives us a little extra time to spend together during the week, so I enjoyed that. Um, okay, so vacation. Let's First of all, let's talk about the difference between a trip and a vacation. Just as a reminder, if you're new, the answer is take that notes, a take trip is a, is a place when you go somewhere and you take your kids with you and you are doing all of the acts of parenting, you're just doing it away from home. And that's great and you should do that and it creates lots of family memories and there are good things to go on but you also need to go on a vacation which is when you go away without your children. Leave them home. That's the vacation. So this question is specifically, uh, when do you, like how young is too young? How do you know when it's okay? And it's real simple. As soon as you have someone you can trust and you know that they're going to be safe, then book the vacation. Like, just get out of town. So, like, for us, we've been really blessed to have parents. Both sets of our parents have watched our kids. But at times when they've been unavailable, we have actually paid, like, young married couples to come stay at our house for a week. And I think it's been great birth control for them to let them know, like... <laughs> This is your future, so yeah. And then uh, we've also farmed them out to families, like other friends that have kids their age, and it's a great time for them to go spend a weekend with their friends. Uh, but the bottom line is that you just do it as soon as you have a place that they're safe with someone that you trust. Yeah, as soon as you're 99% sure they'll be alive when you get home, <laughs> you know, leave, get out of town. So thank you for answering that yeah. question. Number two, how do I handle a level two problem that my spouse is not willing to work on? Ooh, this is a tough one. Last week, we talked about level one problems and level two problems. Level one problems, your spouse leaves protein on the counter. It's obnoxious. He doesn't clean up. But you did better this week. You really did. Wax on, <laughs> wax off. I was cleaning up this week. Uh, High level of accountability in this environment, yes. so I should think of a couple more. Yeah, if you have anything else, 
it's a good time to change. Um, and, and so level one problems are easy to fix. You close the drawer, you wipe the counter. Okay, you kind of fill in the gaps. Level two problems, man, something's got to change or else the relationship is not going to work out. I mean, we're talking about some sort of abuse, alcohol abuse. Uh, in fact, the person who asked this question, that was the specific situation behind the question. Too much, too much drunkenness, alcohol abuse, outbursts of anger, pornography use, cheating, overworking, never coming home, too much time on social media. This, it's something that actually, there's something needs to change. How do you do that? Or how do you work on that if your spouse is unwilling to, uh, to work on it? A couple of thoughts I have really quick. Um, I think at this point, if they're not willing to work on it, you have to get a third party involved. That, that's, that looks like someone who will influence your spouse. Okay, everyone has a person in their life who they can be influenced by. You've got to find that person and get that person involved in the situation. Uh, someone that that person respects, uh, a, a parent, a, a mentor of some sort, or a counselor. And we've talked about bringing a counselor into the situation before. A lot of times people have a stigma about counseling. They think it's a sign of failure and it's a sign of weakness. I happen to disagree, disagree completely. I think it's, when you get a counselor... It's actually an incredible sign of strength and courage to say, hey, I can't figure this out by myself, this addiction, this problem I have with overdrinking or looking at pornography or whatever the issue is, I need help. That is an incredible sign of strength, and it will show that your, your spouse an incredible uh, amount of strength as well. And so if that doesn't work out, if they just won't get a counselor, I would recommend that you start to look into the content that Henry Cloud and John Townsend produced many years ago called Boundaries. They actually wrote a book about it. Then they put out a second book called Boundaries in Marriage. The concept is a very, very powerful concept. I'll break it down in the simplest terms as I can. A boundary is basically a border that you put around your heart. If you think about it in terms of property, it's the fence around your yard, okay, if you have a yard. And you have one and your spouse has one. And basically you're putting a boundary around your heart and you're saying, hey, when you have negative toxic behavior and it crosses the boundary into my heart and it starts to produce pain, okay, difficulty, you're starting to make my life incredibly hard, I'm going to take action. So basically you're drawing a boundary and you're saying you cannot cross this boundary without a consequence. I'm going to hold you accountable for your overdrinking, for your overspending, for your, your unfaithfulness in the marriage or whatever the situation is. And there will, I will take action. I don't know what that action might be. I might move out. I might ask you to move out. I might file for separation. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to do something. I guarantee you if I cheated on Jackie, there would be a consequence. That's just the way she is. She's not going to be like, oh, no problem. Who are you going out with next weekend, honey? And it's just not going to be that way. It's going to be, because we have certain boundaries, and if we cross those boundaries, there'll be a consequence. You think, is this biblical? It's absolutely biblical. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19, listen to this. Hot-tempered people or cheaters or people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol, whatever the situation is, they must pay the penalty. There has to be a consequence. If you rescue them, if you overlook it, if you sweep it under the carpet, if there are no consequences, watch this, you'll only have to do it again. This is a great parenting principle as well, not just in, in, in marriage. If you simply overlook it and there's no consequence, you're empowering that person to continue to behave the way they are and things will never change. And so you want to engage the content of boundaries and, and, and on top of that, get a counselor who will help you work through the principle mm -hmm. of boundaries. That's great. Okay, question three. 
is how do I rebuild trust in the relationship after cheating has occurred? Ooh, tough one. Okay, so uh, this was the most asked question. We got we this got question this four times. Yeah, so if, if four people asked it, I've got to believe that there are, you know, many more who are thinking it that just didn't text it. So we wanted to make sure we address this. Um, first of all, this question is phrased in a way that the spouse who was cheated on is planning on staying in the marriage. And that may not always be the case. Uh, when cheating has occurred, there's, it's, there's biblical grounds for a, that a divorce to occur. So, uh, but in this scenario, the spouse is planning on staying and they're saying, how do I rebuild the trust? Uh, cheating, it, it cuts deep, it creates pain and wounds that are deeper and uh, harder than, it, it, we, can't, we can't address it in the five minutes that, we, that we're gonna address this topic, but we're gonna do our best to do a flyover uh, to give you kind of a brief overview view of where you might wanna begin, but we just wanna acknowledge that it's very tough. egregious. Really, yeah, it's really tough. tough. Um, okay, the quote is, trust takes years to build, seconds to break, and forever to repair. And that's a great quote, but it's a, a bit of an exaggeration because forever, I mean, you know, but you get the idea that it, in, a, in a moment you can break trust and then the mess that's created takes a lot of time and effort and energy to, to build it back and clean up the mess that you've created. Uh, so we want to go through, there's six steps that we kind of uh, came up with that are the steps that we believe you should take if you want to rebuild trust in, after uh, an affair. The first is repentance. This is like the, probably the most important step that the, affair, the, the spouse that committed the affair must be repentant. If they're not sorry, if they're not you know, saying this is never gonna happen again, if they don't have true repentance, then trust can never be rebuilt. So after repentance, oh, and the other thing I wanna say too is that, that while one spouse has, has committed the affair, has committed the act, this spouse now has work to do as well. Even though they didn't ask for it, they didn't do the, you know, they didn't do the deed, now both people have work to do to get back to this place where they can be together. So repentance is first. Second is forgiveness. And it's important that we say that forgiveness is different from trust. Forgiveness should be given freely, but trust, on the other hand, is gonna be earned over time. So after those two things, repentance, forgiveness, then the person needs to uh, commit to cutting off all ties with a third party. We're, they're never going to see that person again. They're cutting off all ties. Which would mean phone numbers and contacts and emails. You might and even Facebooking need to get a different job. All that, all that stuff. There's I mean, depend, a, yeah, if you're serious, it, it, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah so, which is tough. Right. Uh, next, be honest about all of it, no matter how difficult that might be. Uh, agree to counseling which would be really, will be helpful in healing. And the last is to give your spouse time to heal. Don't, you know, let a week go by and then look at your spouse and say, well, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, how come we're not back to normal yet? You know, I said I was sorry and we're moving on. Like, I think that's something that you want. You want it to be back to normal as soon as possible, but you need to understand that it's gonna take time for your spouse to heal and process all those emotions and get back to normal. But the bottom line is faithfulness over time. So faithfulness is like, it's like a muscle. And every time your spouse puts a deposit of honesty and faithfulness and goodwill and you know, something positive in that bank, then you can open up and give them more rope as you see progress. Yeah, I'll just double down uh, on that really quick. For the, for the spouse who did the cheating, you have to understand how deep that wound goes. 
I mean, it, is, it cuts to the absolute core. So you maybe have repented and be like, oh, I'm done. I'll never do that again. I'm sorry. I, you know, I've, I've, I've confessed my sin to God. I've confessed my sin to you. And now you expect your spouse to just be like over it. Mm, not going to happen. It's going to take a long time for them to learn to trust you again because of how deep the wound is. So you have to give them space to heal. You already said that. And for the person who has been cheated on, here's what I would say to you. Um, at some point, as you see your spouse making progress, as you see them practicing faithfulness and integrity and honesty and seeing the counselor and doing the work that's necessary to rebuild trust, you do have to start to extend trust. If you don't, you're stuck. If you stay in your bitterness, if you stay in your resentment, if you keep that grudge, your marriage cannot heal and you cannot move forward and you will never rebuild trust. So you have to be willing to be vulnerable and extend that. So next question. That was a tough one. Yep. Number four, how do we handle disagreements on important issues like parenting or politics? Whoa, you want me to go first yeah, on this you one? Go. Okay. PP, <clears throat> parenting and politics. Woo, where do we go there? Oh, two thoughts, really quick. Ready? I would say uh, when you're talking about, it didn't have to be parenting or politics, those happen to be two big ones. It could be money, it could be something else, it could be intimacy. I would say two things. Number one, maintain extraordinarily high levels of respect. Respect. Dallas Willard taught me this years ago. He's my favorite author. He said, disrespect opens the door to abuse. Respect guards your heart against abuse. And so what we try to do when we're disagreeing on something, we're butting heads on an issue, whatever it might be, a parenting decision, I just have to remember, this is my, this is my best friend. This is the most important person to me in the world, how am I gonna to speak to her with dignity, with respect? And that, make, that ensures that I don't start to attack her. Remember we talked about this last week, attack the, don't attack the person, attack the problem. When I, when I choose to maintain respect, I stay focused on the issue and I stop attacking her character or what I think is a poor opinion that she might have or a poor decision she wants to make. I don't start calling her names or making fun of her or mocking her or doing anything that is disrespectful. That leads to absolutely nowhere. So we have to maintain respect. The second thing I would say is keep an open mind. Come at this issue with at least a, a, the door cracked uh, with, the, with the potential that you could be wrong. And this is hard for people like my, myself. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very uh, confident person. I, I, I think I know what I, th I know. Uh, I, I think I have all the facts a lot of times. And I'm like, nope, this is the right thing to do. We got to do this. Like, you know, let's start our daughter early in kindergarten. Like, I'm positive we need to do that. And my wife's like, no, we shouldn't do that. I'm like, nope, I'm positive that I want her to be a freshman when Andrew is a senior. And like, I was so confident and we made that decision. And you know, I don't know if it was right or wrong, but Andrew ended up going to another high school. He wasn't even in the high school that Ruby was in. But, but, but I was so confident, I was so confident. And, and what I've learned to do over time, that was a long time ago, mm -hmm. way back in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. What I've learned to do is like, you know, maybe, maybe Pastor Danny, you don't know. Maybe she knows. Maybe you don't have all the facts. Maybe you don't have all the, all the information. Maybe there's a piece of it that you're not considering. Come to find out, my wife's got this incredible intuition. She's got great insight. And, and so I've learned over the years just to come at the, whatever the argument is, come at it with an open, at least a percentage of it saying, I could be wrong. That opens me up to listen to understand instead of listening to speak, which there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Thoughts? I, I think that that's great, but I think we still have to answer the question about what do people do when you come to a stalemate? You've had the conversation, you've discussed it several times, but you still just can't get on the same page. And so we can turn to the Bible in Ephesians 5.22, uh, and the, the author addresses this and says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. So in the very same way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal in their godness, Jesus, in the New Testament, we see him clearly submit himself to the Father and what the Father would have him to do. In the same way, Danny and I, husbands and wives, men and women, are equal in their value, their worth, their, as, as children of Christ, and, and all of these other things. But at the end of the day, there has to be a, a leadership structure in the home, and it's clear that God has made the husband the leader of the home. And so there will be times where I have to submit myself to my husband's leadership. Now I will say that that is, uh, it's, it's rare when we come to a decision where we just have to go with what he's saying even though I disagree. Because when you think about it, there aren't a lot of decisions where it's like, okay, we gotta go, we gotta know right now, like what's your answer? You know, we gotta make a decision, we gotta move, we gotta go. Like there are very few major life decisions that function that way. Most of them, you know, there's time to have conversations. And so more like 99.9% .9 of the time, we're having a conversation, we disagree. We're circling back in a couple of days, we're having another conversation, we disagree. Until one of us, you know, agrees with the other one. We, there's prayer involved and, you know, I'm always praying God change my heart or change his, but make us be on the same page. Um, so I think that that, that needs to be said. Um, yeah, I yeah. think biblically, you know, what gives me peace in that is at the end of the day when we stand before God and give an account for our lives, I am not going to be the one standing before God giving an account of my fam for my family. He is. So that like takes the pressure off and it, it gives me kind of like, okay, like, you know, it, you're the one who's going to be accountable for it. So yeah, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> no pressure at all. No. None. I don't feel it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is a, this verse is a little bit dangerous because, you know, when, when, when men hear this verse, they're like, oh, I like that verse, <laughs> you know, and, and we, we can tend to want to take this and, and use it as a trump card every time there's a disagreement. Well, Hey, guess what? 522 says, submit to me, you know, Psh. you know, <laughs> Hey guys, listen, if Ephesians 522 is your favorite Bible verse, you have a problem. There's an issue. Okay. <laughs> Um, it, what we forget about verse 22 is that the verse right before it says something very interesting. Watch this, Ephesians 5.21. Submit, say it with me, one, one to, to another. another. How interesting. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And so, yes, at, when you're hitting a gridlock and, and there is, you cannot reach a degree, uh, uh, an agreement, the husband makes the final call, but it really should not get to that point if both spouses are saying, you know what, let's get after the right decision. It doesn't matter who, who is, who's right. You know, it's, it's, it's about making the right decision for our children or whatever, for our finances or whatever the decision is. If as a husband you have to be right all the time, you're gonna, have, you're gonna have a tough time. There's a lot of ego involved in that. I think when I started to let my ego go a little bit and start to humble myself, I started to be able to submit more to what my wife had to say and trust her. I remember one time um, I really wanted to buy a car and I was like, this was years ago, 
And she, my wife's telling me, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. I'm like, she does the bills. And, and, and I'm like, nope, I want a new, you understand, I need a new car. And so I, we're at the dealership and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there. She kind of sees that I'm going to do this deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this car. And so she kind of says, honey, I'm going to, I'll meet you at home. It sounds like you're going to buy the car. You'll have a ride home. I'll see you at home. And so she gets out of there. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, she's telling me the whole time. It's not a good thing. We can't afford it. So I go ahead and buy the car. And I get it home, so excited. I, that's my weakness is, is, is cars. Uh, but, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, we're sitting around looking at the bills going, wow, we can't afford this car. What are we going to do? And my, she's like, well, I told you so, you dummy. You know, you didn't say that. But uh, I had to figure out, I had to go get another job. I had to become a referee in a men's league on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, which was glorious. People yelling at me, cussing at me. I'm like, gosh, I can't believe this. But I had to make this car payment. And that, guess what? That wasn't even enough money. We had to get another job on top of that, which was an interesting job. We were bagging orthodontist rubber bands. You ever wonder how those little orth- rubber bands get in the baggies? People do that. We did that for a year. And you get paid per baggie. It was like two cents a bag or one cent a bag. And so every night over television, we're sitting there going like this. We're, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm going, it's a stupid car. <laughs> I share that story, and that was years ago. I learned my lesson. It's just, just listen to your wife. Like, don't, like, she knows things. And so uh, you have to come at it with a posture of humility and, and open-mindedness. So it's good stuff. Yeah. There's a reason that wisdom is a woman in the book of Proverbs. Yeah, it's good. It's true. It's a good point. <laughs> okay. Next question. Oh, you know what? One thing, too, I wanted to say. That question, we put parenting and politics in the same bucket. I disagree with that they're the same. Parenting, you have to be on the same page. Finances, you have to be on the same. Politics, you know, I think, I know, we know couples who have two totally different political ideologies, and they maintain some sort of sanity. So I think that that's totally fine. Yeah, that's All right. good. Next Number five, one. how do we decide when to stop having children? <laughs> this one's easy. When you're outnumbered, Stop. <laughs> Trust us, we know. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, On a more serious note, before we go into the question, we just want to take a moment and uh, just speak to those of you who might be struggling with infertility and uh, the struggle to have a child. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, people are wondering, like, how do we decide when to stop? And we would just like to have one. Uh, We just want to take a moment and just tell you that we see you. It's tough. We, We know that there's pain there, and we don't want to just like brush over that yeah. because we know it's real and there's a lot of viewers that are in that space right now. Uh, we do offer some programs, small groups. Yeah, we have and a small group here, here at the church uh, yeah. for if you're struggling with infertility. So Yeah, we just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, and now we want to answer the question. Um, so the first advice would be if you're dating, if you're engaged, have the conversation like we said last week. If she wants one and he wants seven, you know, we need to have like a meeting of the minds or we need to make some changes, okay? The second thing would be to, if, we, if you're already married and you're trying to decide when to stop, think about your, your resources or, you know, your, what you have to offer financially, mentally, spiritually, like how, what is going to be the impact on you? What, what are your limits? Think hard. Like this is an actual soul, like a person that is going to come into this world, but they are going to live for an eternity. That's huge. They're going to live on this earth for maybe 70, 80, 90 years. That's a huge impact on you. It's not just a baby. Like there's so much more to it. 
So think about that extra car seat in the car, that extra college tuition, because mm-hmm. it's real, it's mm-hmm. happening. So think about those things. The other thing we'd say is that if you are uh, thinking, okay, things in our marriage are kind of rough and kind of rocky, maybe if we just have a baby, like it'll make things better. No, like don't do it because having a baby just reveals all of the dysfunction and all of the stuff that needs to be fixed. It just makes it like more, more. Babies fix nothing. They don't they fix They make everything worse. Yeah. <laughs> I just got to say it out loud. Okay, I said it. Uh, so bottom line is just don't move forward until you're both on the same page. This is where we need to practice that mutual submission. And if one spouse can, is not willing, not excited about, not, does not want to have another baby, then don't do it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay, next one is a really good one. How do you handle your spouse's love language when they don't feel, how do you, spe- uh, sorry, how do you handle your spouse's love language when you don't feel like it? Now, this question implies that we all understand what the five love languages are by Gary Chapman. It was a book that came out years ago. Fantastic read. Got to read it. The, real quick, I'll give you the, the five languages. Uh, the, number one is uh, acts of service. Uh, then there's quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, and gifts, okay? And, and basically the idea of the book is everyone receives love a certain way, and if you want to love your spouse well, you have to learn the way that they receive it and then speak that language to them. And so it's a really great book. The question is, what do you, how do you speak your spouse's love language when you're toast, you're empty, you're tired, you're sick, Maybe, you know, you've, you're, the, 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 this particular question came from a woman who has lots of kids and, and during her monthly cycle, it's just really hard to uh, love her husband the way he wants to be loved because she's just out, you know, the what phrase she used was, I'm touched out. <laughs> I don't want to be touched. I don't want to touch anybody else. And I appreciated that. And, and so here's what I'll say to that. And again, I can't speak to, from a woman's perspective on this, but what I can say is, Speak your spouse's love language when the sun is shining, when everything is going well, so that when things get tough or when you are exhausted, it's easier to weather that period, that two or three days, that week long where you're stressed out or you're overworked or whatever. In other words, fill your spouse's uh, cup full on the front end so that when you go through a difficult time, it's not as difficult. Secondly, what I would say is that when things do get tough, communicate. Talk to your spouse about it. Say, hey, this week at work has been really tough. I'm exhausted. I'm not going to have time to go out Friday night. Let's just say, for example, your spouse's love language is quality time. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I had to work late every night this week. I'm not going to be able to go on a date. Or I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm sick. This week we're not going to be able to, to be intimate, physically intimate or whatever. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Now, your other spouse should have their cup full, right? Because you were speaking their love language on the front end and then they're considerate of you because you're having a tough week and so they, that would make it easier to get through those difficult times. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I just want to add the idea of personal responsibility here. As I thought through this question, you know, when you don't feel like it, I thought about times when I don't feel like speaking my husband's love language. Okay, so what are the reasons? Like, why wouldn't I want to? Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I just, I don't feel good inside. Maybe I'm stressed. Or, you know, there could be a couple other reasons. But what I have to do is ask myself, well, what are the reasons for these reasons, 
Okay, why am I tired? Why am I not feeling good? Why am I stressed? Am I not getting enough sleep? Am I not drinking enough water? Am I not eating well? Am I not exercising? Am I not, am I over, like, extending myself to other responsibilities and work so that I can't be a great wife? And I think there's something to be said for personal responsibility. I think a a lot of times we just don't feel like whatever, and, and it's like, okay, well, you know, what can I do on the front end to make sure that I'm the best person that I can be so I can be a good wife to him? Yeah, and so you don't end, you don't end up using the difficult times as an excuse not to speak your spouse's love language. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Yeah, that's good. Okay, let's jump into this number seven. This is the PG-13 question here, uh, so careful. Um, what do you do when one spouse wants more intimacy than the other? Ooh, do you want to start? Yeah, on I'll go. One? Um, Pass it to her. So I think a lot of times we forget that uh, when we made our wedding vows, we made a promise to serve one another. And so if your spouse is communicating to you that, you know, they need or desire more intimacy, that's a way that you can serve them. And I think it's important that we remember that, that was, those were in our wedding vows, to love and, and serve one another in whatever way we could, and that being selfish and withholding is not fulfilling that vow. Yeah. Yeah, this one is easy to answer because the Apostle Paul answered it in a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 3 and 4. Now, when I read these verses to you, some of you are going to be so excited, you're going to send me a gift card and be like, I love my pastor, he is awesome. And then some of you are going to send me hate mail and you're going to be like, I hate this guy, I'm never coming back to church. I'm just warning you, this, but don't blame me because I didn't write this. I didn't write it. So you ready for this? Watch this. This is what Paul said. He said, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Pretty clear, right? It's your job, boys. <laughs> Get busy. Uh, and, then, and then the wife should fulfill her husband's needs, both sides, okay? So it's, as Jackie said, when you said, I do, again, this is for married couples. This is not for, this is not for engaged couples or dating couples. Uh, you should be practicing abstinence. For married couples, it's your responsibility, Paul is saying, to meet the, the sexual needs of your spouse. He doesn't just stop there. Watch this. He continues in verse 4. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. What in the world does that mean? Well, it simply means that, hey, when we got married, I'm saying that, this, that you have say over this body. So if you want a piece of me, you can have it. And I'm saying, and she's saying to me, hey, this body over here, this fine looking body, it belongs, it belongs to you. And you can have it whenever, pretty much whenever you want it. And so I, it's, it's this mutual sharing. It's this, and, and again, you can abuse this verse, okay? So you, can, you can take this and abuse it. I'm, that's not Paul's intent. The intent is to come at this with, with a servant's heart to say, sex is about giving. It's not about getting. I want to, if you want more intimacy, it would be my delight since I'm your husband to serve you in that capacity. And so it really is something that, that we need to consider. Like, like here, here's, what, here's what I'll say. If you're a spouse, a husband, a wife, and you are withholding from your husband or your wife, and they're saying, hey, I'd like to have more intimacy, you're actually sinning. You're actually going against the Bible. 
If you are withholding and say, you know what, I'm just not interested, I don't feel like it, I don't really enjoy sex, and so we're not going to do that. And your spouse is over there dying on the vine saying, I would like to have more sex. And you're like, well, sucks to be you because you ain't getting any. You know, it, it, <laughs> look, seriously, like that's wrong. Like, that's not godly. Like, when you said, I do, you're saying, this body belongs to you. You can have it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever you want it. That's what, it, that's what Paul is saying. So, no, again, good. you can send those gift cards to, to <laughs> my office. Now, a couple things I'd like to add to that. I think the first is the spouse who is the one desiring more intimacy needs to also think through their part in the equation. So like, you know, have you been a jerk all week and you've been selfish and into yourself and all of your, your own things. And then all of a sudden on date night, you know, you decide it's, it's all of a sudden time to get romantic. Like it's, you know, it, it, all of these things can work together to either work for you and provide more intimacy or work against you because maybe your spouse isn't wanting to be intimate because you're just not fun to be around. You know, don't come home from the gym smelly and sweaty and expect to, you know, hug and kiss on your spouse. <laughs> I just go straight in the shower. I don't yeah. know what she's talking yeah, about. Yeah, he does. Um, and the last thing I'd add is that... Um, for wives and, and for husbands, thinking about all of the things that your, that your spouse needs. You know, I mean, we can, you know, pay somebody to do their laundry if you need to. You can, they have people who help them with their stuff at work. They have friends who fulfill the need of friendship. They have lots of people in their lives to fulfill just about every need. You can pay someone to make your food. You can, I mean, there's so many things that you can, you know, get needs that you can get filled other places except for this one. And I feel like when I realized that, it made me realize, wow, like Danny has like an amazing team here that helps him brainstorm and think of great, you know, things to add to his talks. And he has people that help him with his schedule. He has great friends that, that fulfill that need of friendship. And I mean, there's all of these things that, that he needs or desires that those buckets can be filled by other people. But there's one bucket that only I get to fulfill. And when I look at it that way, it's like, wow, like that is special. That's a privilege to be the only person that can fulfill this very important need. And you, you do it really well. It <laughs> <laughs> was good. It was good. Well, this has been fun. No, seriously, we, ha we actually had a bunch more questions that we, we could not get to with our short amount of time here. So what I did this week is I asked my wife to join me on my podcast to answer more of these questions. If you didn't know I had a podcast, I do. It's called The Breakthrough Podcast. And Jackie is my guest in the March edition. She'll be, uh, she'll be on there. And really what we're going to do is answer more of your questions on that particular podcast. Some of them are also PG-13 that we couldn't talk about today. Stuff that uh, we didn't want our kids to hear. Yes. So they're not going to listen to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, but they're dying right now, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. They're sitting somewhere in here. Um, but we love you guys. And can we give it up for my wife one more time? Thank you so much. You're awesome. I really hope the last couple of weeks have been a blessing to you. And I know we talked about some marriage-specific things, especially that last question. Um, but a lot of what we talked about over the series can be applicable to any relationship. And so I want you to hopefully grab some of that stuff and apply it. As we wrap up today, you know, there's absolutely no question 
in my mind that our marriage of 21 and a half years would not would be where it is without Jesus Christ. I mean, he is he is the center of our lives. Uh, every single day, my wife and I try to follow his leadership in our life personally, and then we come together and, and we have a Christ-centered marriage. And that forces us to look into this book for all of the principles uh, for our marriage. I said this last week, you know, Jesus makes your life better, but he also makes you better at life. And when you follow what he says about marriage as a wife, as a husband, as a parent, as a coworker, your life starts to get better over time. There's this cumulative value that adds up. And if you don't have Christ in your life today, I would beg you, I would, I would encourage you to open your heart to him. The Bible says without question that God loves you and he's proven it to you by having Jesus Christ die on the cross. I'll just read you one particular passage that says it without, uh, without any vagueness. It says in Romans chapter uh, five, verse eight, but God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we had our backs turned on God, Jesus died for us, died in our place so that we can have forgiveness, so that we can have a relationship with God. If you've never put your faith in Christ, maybe today is the day. Maybe you reach out to him in faith and you ask him to forgive your sins. God showed his love, he proved his love to you by having Jesus die in your place. We should have been the ones to pay the price on the cross. It was our sin that he died for. He paid the debt that we owed. He paid the penalty we should have paid. He took the bullet we should have been hit with. And he did it because he loved you. Have you, have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you ever wondered why Jesus died on the cross in the first place? Did he die to start a religion called Christianity? Did he die to start churches all over the world? No, he died so he could be in a relationship with you. So he could forgive you of your sins, wash you clean and make you his child. Maybe today's the day you reach out to him. Not to join a religion or to join a church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having Christ living in your heart, being reconciled to God, having your sins forgiven. If you feel led to do that right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Whatever campus you're at, if you're watching at home, in a car somewhere, if you're out in the lobby here at Greenwood, take these words and make them your own. Put your faith in Christ. Let's say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for paying the penalty for my sin, for paying a debt I could not pay. I trust you today. I place my faith in you today. I ask you to be my savior. Cleanse me from all my sin. Wash me, make me your child. And please, from this day forward, teach me, guide me. Show me how to live, show me how to love, show me how to forgive like you do. Show me how to be patient, kind, and gentle. Show me how to treat people who, who cross me, wrong me, hurt me. Show me how to treat them the way you would treat them. Show me how to treat my spouse as I try to live with them in a way that would honor you. Lead my life. I surrender to you. I pray this in Jesus' name.
And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory for what he's doing today? Come on, nice and loud. People putting their faith in Christ. If, hey, if you just did that, we, uh, we put a little starter kit together for you. It's called our saved box. We just wanna get you started on the right foot. Inside this box, there's a Bible. There's some instructions on how to get connected to a manual if that's what you wanna do. Um, there's also a coffee mug in here just to say congratulations. We're a little crazy around here about coffee. We love it. If you don't drink coffee, you can put something else in there if you'd like. But uh, text the word SAVE to 65248 if you put your faith in Christ. We'll make sure you get one of these in the mail. Hey, I just wanna thank my wife one more time for being up here. Thank you so much. 